Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Pollack on his new movie, Goalie, where he plays legendary hockey star Jack Adams. Kevin, how are you today? Damn good. Thanks for asking. Well, it's a pleasure of mine. We're both kids from San Francisco. Uh, You're in one of my all-time favorite comedies in Grumpier Old Men. You're on The Mm -hmm. uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, playing Moshi. You've been killing it forever, man, so it's, it's my pleasure. Well... Let's not fight like this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we t- we chatted a bit at Critics' Choice. You know, the Niners had yeah. just uh, made it to the Super Bowl, so we were a little excited. And although we're a little somber now uh, in February, we're still having a good time because now we get to talk about a hockey movie. Yeah, there you go. You know? What's it like playing somebody like Jack Adams? I mean, the guy was a, a legend in the sport of hockey. Is it more difficult playing a, a real-life character than creating one of your own because you have to stay true to some of his mannerisms and personality? Well, it can be. And um, as the award season proved, you can win trophies playing someone whose uh, mannerisms are uh, memorable. In the case of Jack Adams, not so much. Um, you know, uh, I, I had a lot of research online that I could study and go through and, uh, writer director certainly provided me with a bunch. Um, but in terms of his mannerisms, I don't know that there are a lot of people who, uh, who were following his career in 1940 that are still around anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there are still reactions from family members are saying, wow, you know, grandpa was like that or dad was like that or he wouldn't have done something X, Y, Z. So it is kind of harder to play somebody that was alive is what I'm getting at. Yeah, you want to be super respectful yeah. to, in this case, the legend. I mean, this guy's legend persists to this day and beyond us uh, in terms of what 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 life uh, you know, the the stats on this guy are just kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, starting as a player, um, you know, there was something like six goals in the 1922 um, Stanley Cup series when he was playing for the Vancouver Millionaires. Right. Can you imagine that, naming a team that in 1922? Um yeah, 36-year association with the Red Wings, uh, head coach, general manager, winningest coach, I believe, in Red Wings history until uh, Babcock took the title. I think he took over in the mid-teens of 2000, like 2014, maybe. Wow. And- um yeah, just legendary. Yeah. And the movie is a biopic primarily focusing on Terry Shawshuck. Um, you know, going back in time and putting on the classic outfits, you know, you do that with Mrs. Maisel because of the time period itself. You know, what's it like being at the hockey rink and seeing the old style equipment that would never fly, especially with safety regulations today? And then they're yes. just skating around well, and playing. This- <laughs> Terry Sawchuck was part of a uh, uh, maybe the last of the goalies um, who was playing without a face mask. So he stopped many a puck with his face uh, and, and was damn happy and enthusiastic to do it. That's the kind of uh, lunatic player 
he was who who had the respect of uh, all the players instantly. Um, yeah, and I'll tell you, Mark O'Brien, the actor who plays Terry Sawchuck, he he did a very deep dive in in recreating the magnitude of this guy. Um, and all all hats go off to uh, to Mark O'Brien on that performance. But yeah, donning the wardrobe, it's true of Maisel too. Until you're dressed like these people. Um, you feel a little bit like a poser in a in a period piece, but once you put that stuff on, man, oh man, does it all come alive! And it certainly did for me in in, in goalie as well. This is, I mean, this is a fantastic biopic. We don't get too many hockey movies. I think the last big one we got was Miracle, and that was a Disney one, so that was a little more grandiose and a little more you know, uh, heartwarming, heartfelt. And this is a man that suffered so much. With you know, traumatic brain injury, which we don't discuss enough today. I mean, we talk That's a little right. bit about it in football and it's coming around in boxing and even starting to make the rounds of the MMA. But we knew that brain damage could be caused by this. But these guys were so tough that they still went out there. No face mask for the longest time. No helmet. I mean, these were some dangerous cats. Yeah. I mean, he Terry was signed <clears throat> in 1947, you know, and, and, and played um, – in that era where if anyone had said the words brain damage, he would have either laughed in your face or spit in it, depending on who was saying it. Hmm. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the vernacular, uh, let alone uh, something that, that should have been considered. Right. I mean, there is something to say that we do lack, I think a little bit of the tough spirit that those guys had, you know, I mean, world war two veterans coming, coming home, you know, survivors of various tragedies. And now, you know, I, but of course we care more about the player safety and health today. What is it that being a part of the cast that you saw in the reenactments of what went down with Terry and in Jack's era to what we see today of say with the sharks and the Kings and major league hockey. Now, you know, the, uh, the NHL. Yeah. So again, you know, when, when you, when it's a period piece and so specific to a very, um, insane, violent, uh, sport in this time period, um, if you think it's violent now, yeah, yeah, there had to have been great care in the filmmakers part to, to make sure that we didn't consider anyone's feelings as we've evolved to today's, um, you know, sort of uh, empathy for what athletes put themselves through for our entertainment. But if you ask any of them back then or even today, you know, it's it's pure joy mm. and love of the game for all of them. Um, and fortunately, we have evolved to a place where when kids start out playing, they're told these these stories, and they're told of not only legends like Terry Sawchuck, but also what today's game means and what 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 precautions can be taken. So yeah, these were these were fearless men, but also so was the time. And uh, yeah, it's easy to look at today's dare I say millennials and say. Watch these guys if you want to know what what toughness was, and then they would, you know, watch for two and a half minutes, get bored, and get on their phones. Right. <laughs> 
you know, and people have to remember that these guys didn't have the multi-million dollar contracts and endorsement deals. A lot of them had second jobs. A lot of them, this was just seasonal work for them just to play for the enjoyment of playing. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and Kevin, you're, you're a big sports fan. When you make a sports movie, you know, how much closer is it to your love of the game? Does it enhance your love of the sport or does it, you know, take away from it because there's so much reshoot and reset and everything else that goes into it? Yeah, uh, I'd like to say that there's a suspended disbelief when you're making these movies. You, you can definitely get caught up in the emotion when the scene allows you to of of uh, reenacting um, a time in, 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 in our sports history. But otherwise, you know, scene by scene, you, you have an objective and, and um, you know, I hate to break some of the magic, but it is it is about doing that day's work and doing your damnedest to never get caught acting. Quite frankly, that's always my goal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you do dramas, you're extremely dramatic. When you do comedies, you're extremely funny. Uh, I saw the I actually talked to David uh, Deshmalian. I can't I can never pronounce David's last name. And I've interviewed him like three times when you guys did teacher. And that was an intense flick. Yeah, he he is not only used to us not being able to pronounce his last name. I think he could have fixed it for us if he really, really wanted to. He could have made it easier for everyone. I think he's sticking with it. You know, the, the way that at a point Schwarzenegger just decided, ah, I'm not going to get rid of this accent. <laughs> And my you can parents, either work on it or you can't. Right. You know, my mom's been in the country for over 45 years, and she still has a hint of her accent. So that's never going away at this point. No. Yeah. Just fun. <laughs> and, and it's still funny when the accent comes out even heavier, because it's like, wait a minute, I thought you lost most of that. So there's, there's that aspect of it. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, Mrs. Maisel, you, got, you guys are you're on an award-winning series. You guys are recognized all over the place. It's totally brilliant. I wanted to touch upon, because I unfortunately I never got to meet Matthew and Lemon, and you got to work with them, both on Grumpy and Grumpier Old Men, you know, and two of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, is there anything that you ever reminisce about from time to time working with those two? Yeah, they come up uh, a lot. You know, I... I uh... I pride myself on being a character actor. And so when I was a kid, this was uh, a dream of mine. You know, um, I don't know whether I, at a young age I was able to do the math on my limitations of being the next, uh, uh, you know, fill in the blank of, of giant, fantastic movie star, who, whatever era you're from, be it Clark Gable or Tom Cruise. You know, I... I um, I collected character actors when I was a kid, the way my friends collected baseball cards. And so Matt Fallon Lemon were two brilliant character actors who also got to be movie stars. Um, but I would argue there's some movie stars now like Brad Pitt, like Leo, uh, who, who are now priding themselves on doing character work and not just, being a movie star and sort of doing one lick, uh, you know, on the guitar song after song, you know? Right. Um, and so working with two legendary character actors, you know, it was like studying at the feet of Mount Rushmore, uh, working with Walter Matthau and Jacqueline. And, and, and they were both 
gregarious and approachable and silly and goofy and the way you wish your father was, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it was it was dreamlike. I mean, they shared a giant. We shot in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and there was one extraordinary uh, suite in a, in a hotel that had a second master bedroom at the other end of it. This thing had a giant living room and a piano and a kitchen. And so they, the odd couple lived together while we shot the movie and they would have us up for dinner or to watch the Academy Awards. I remember one year, um, uh, you know, they were very sociable and, and it was, uh, you know, Jack Lemon at the piano while we were all sitting around and it was, it was surreal. Um, and at the same time, an uh, opportunity for education that one doesn't normally get. Right. So I, I, I paid strict attention to the magic they were creating. Well, just hearing about it on my end, and then of course Anne Margaret, Sophia Loren, you know Bur- Burgess Meredith. I mean, you worked with them. Why am I re- reciting the list of actors that were on the set with you? So, but you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was absurd. Uh, Sophia Loren came out of retirement, which she just did again uh, as we're speaking. She has a movie coming out I was just reading about. But she had to start the movie in over 20 years when she came aboard the sequel, brilliantly titled Grumpier Old Men. I think a think tank from Mensa came up with that title. Uh, Yeah. So she was nervous about headlining a movie and and uh, i remember that aspect of her charm and 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 speaking to her she reminded me that i spoke to her about it when we were at the premiere and and at the party afterwards and the premiere went very very well in a very large theater uh, and the crowd went nuts and at the party afterwards she made a point of saying to me i'm paraphrasing it's been a few years but something like I, I, I'll never forget you said to me on the set that America was going to welcome me back more than I thought they would. And I, I want to thank you. It meant a lot when you said it. And it means even more after tonight showing. Yeah. So she and she had an open door policy on her trail. You could stop by and say hello. She cooked pasta one day for the whole crew. And then Margaret was another childhood fantasy of mine. Um, you know, I remember being a teenager and watching her in Bye Bye Birdie and thinking, this is the most beautiful woman that will ever live. Right. Um, and incredibly talented. Um, and, and so working with her on both movies, just charming, sweet, with the same husband a million years. He was there doting on her. Um, and they're in their late 60s at, at the time. And, um, yeah, just ridiculous. Burgess Meredith, you know, this guy, like Walter Matthau, both of them are sort of born at the age of 65. You know, <laughs> Burgess yeah. was in three, maybe four episodes of The Twilight Zone, my favorite TV show of all time. And he looked 65 then. Right. Um, and so when we worked together, yeah, he was a pestle. Oh, my God. And, I, and, and one of the movies, I can't remember which one in the end credits, they have him... Uh, doing a runner, uh, looking out the window and and commenting on um, how excited he was, mm-hmm. and I and so the director said, Kevin, come up with a few more versions of this, uh, and so I got to spitball uh, sort of disgusting one-liners that Burgess Meredith then said. And then they showed him in the end credits, like a like a you know a bonus reel yeah. or whatever. 
so yeah, you know that it was all thrilling. The whole damn thing was thrilling, and and I I do love to talk about it for whoever is truly curious. Um, I hope I'm not sitting in a park one day talking about it to the birds, but. <laughs> If you want to know, I'm happy to share. I am always more than happy to listen to, to classic stories like this. And speaking of Anne Margaret, she's working with your good friend, Alan Arkin, on the Kaminsky uh, uh, Method, which is a hilarious show. And hopefully we might get to see you cameo at one point, even though you're working for a rival streaming service. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a bit of a rivalry. I'm not <laughs> going to say it's exactly like the Giants and the Dodgers, but it's awful close. Um, yeah, and I, I have, um, I still have a great friendship with Alan Arkin, and um, he's just uh, an absolute dream of a, of an actor and a friend and a mentor. Um, I should probably drop by and have lunch with the two of them. Is what I should probably do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the beautiful part is, is that I remember you were telling a story a while ago about how you'd call Alan and leave messages on his answering machine as yeah. kind of like post-it notes, and, and he'd just call you after a while and tell you to stop doing that. I thought that was absolutely hilarious and brilliant. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, since with Mrs. Maisel being a comedy and then goalie and teacher having been dramas, and they always say that great comedy comes from tragedy – uh, is it easier to play dramatic because we've known you for so long as the funny man, even though you've done so many uh, dramatic roles? Um, you know, I, I, it's sort of the uh, weird twist of the trajectory of my career. Uh, it was never a plan, an idea, a notion that I would do dramatic acting. I, you know, I had no formal training. I'm not proud of that fact. It just happens to be true, so I feel a need to share it. Um, I started stand-up comedy in San Francisco, and, and um, you know, by the time I got to auditions in Los Angeles, I'd already been rejected on stage as a stand-up by so many audiences over the 10-plus years at that point that to go into a room for a handful of executives and to feel their rejection just didn't have much of an impact. I was a... Uh, a battled, weary soldier at that point. Um, so I, you know, I was fortunate very early on uh, because Barry Levinson, who was a comedian, he and Craig G. Nelson were a comedy team in the '60s in the coffee houses. Um, he loves to have comedians in his movies. If you look at his films, um, you'll see. Stand-up, uh, Paul Reiser in Diner, mm. and um, Dennis Miller in, uh, what was that film, Deception, maybe? Mm. Um, yeah, no, he, he, he's got a comedian in all of his films. So he would come to the improv and see stand-ups all the time. And so he, I just happened to be fortunate enough to be one of the comedians who got a chance to go in and, and read for him on, on this masterpiece film of his called Avalon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because he felt I was the guy, I remember getting the part and being suddenly nervous. Oh, no, I'm in a drama. I was able to audition well enough to get the part, but 
do I really have what it takes? So I said to my then manager, who also represented Paul Reiser, and Paul had done Aliens, mm-hmm. a very dramatic turn for him, right. early in his career. So I said, hey, did Paul work with an acting coach on Aliens? And my, the manager said, yes, he did. I said, well, I'd like to work with that acting coach. So then I went to Barry Levinson, the director of Avalon, and said, hey, uh, thanks for the job, but I'm concerned, and I want to do a great job for you. Can I give a copy of the script to this acting coach and Barry, much to my good fortune at the time, uh, said, Oh no, 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 no. You're not gonna I'm not gonna let some acting coach screw up what you're doing. He's from Baltimore, Barry. <laughs> I'm not gonna let him come in and, and change what you're you're the guy, all right? Just be the guy. You don't need to learn how to emote. I don't wanna see it. So I was working for a director who hated acting. He hated seeing acting. If you look at Diner, it's all about being spontaneous. If you look at a lot of his films. In fact, in Avalon, I was surrounded by brilliant theater actors um, who all wanted to rehearse. And Ferry said, no, no, no rehearsal. You're a family. Just go out and have a few meals together, which is what we did. Um, So, again, my first acting job, insanely lucky that I was with a director who, A, hated acting, hated seeing acting, B, wanted me to be spontaneous, which is all I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. And and also, the film, while not a giant box office hit, was a very, very well-regarded and respected movie within the industry, and suddenly I was getting some notice as a dramatic actor, which was absurd to me, mm-hmm. but it happened in the best possible way for me mm-hmm. um, to learn how to be realistic not dramatic and the movie still holds up after all this time i mean there has to be something that's more powerful that okay it wasn't a box office hit but x years later and people still recognize the film and still go back and watch the film that has to be something more powerful than oh it made this much at the box office and then three years from now we go back and watch and go "Eh, it wasn't that good why do we like it so much well, it's interesting. I, I I don't know which is better. I mean, A Few Good Men is on every nine minutes. Right. So I hear from people all the time about that. And it has a, its own ongoing life of fanship and whatnot. But then the smaller niche audience that has seen and loves Avalon, you could argue, is more passionate in a weird way right. because they feel like they're a part of a smaller group. I don't know. I've seen some pretty passionate A Few Good Men fans. It's all it's all relative, but um, yeah. For the for the studio who wrote the check for these movies, that these things matter. Right. For for myself, my selfish needs. I, you know, I I um, I I'm still a bit shocked, quite frankly, that the uh, stand-up comedian from San Francisco and San Jose uh, it ha- has been in movies at all. Right. You know, so all of this is a bit gravy for me. Right. Well. Last I I read that your brother still lives in San Jose with his family. Um, you know, I don't know what your brother does for a living, and if it's too personal, I don't want to ask. But is there some sort of sibling rivalry at this point? Like, how do your parents <laughs> feel? You know, how did your parents feel when you were on the way up and going, ah, this kid's gonna sit here in Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, you know, trying to crack jokes, and you know, we think <laughs> he's kind of funny, but we're not sure. And then all of a sudden, boom, Avalon hits, and the movies start coming. Well, it's funny you mentioned Cobbs. I will be there May 1st and 2nd. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. I did not um, know that. I just used to always yeah. go to Cobbs when I was in college. I have not performed stand-up in San Francisco in well over 10 years. I mean, I've been a part of Sketchfest the last many years, 
but I haven't come and done a full weekend just me, not during a comedy festival in over 10 years. And I, I just, uh, within days, uh, uh, firmed up May 1st and 2nd. Very excited to come home and play at Cubs. I hope folks get a chance to come out. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. All of it. It's just ridiculous. And now going back to San Francisco and doing the weekend, how significant is that? Because you said you had been booed off the stage so many years ago, and now to come full circle to it, it's got to be yeah. somewhat poignant. Yes, yes. And my brother will be there. Not to sidetrack your question earlier. He, he's unbelievably <laughs> proud. And, um, um, you know, we have an extended family with his kids who now have kids. And uh, I was just with all of them over Thanksgiving. And, and my brother has nothing to do with the show business. So there's really no rivalry. He is just purely proud as, as all get out. Uh, it's pretty great. Um, and my folks were instantly supportive. I was very fortunate in that way. I directed a documentary about funny people called misery loves comedy, uh, premiered Sundance film festival in 2015. And I interviewed over 60 annoyingly famous, funny people with the thesis. Do you have to be miserable to be funny? Um, and so there's a lot of conversation and I fell on the other side of it, which was if you're coddled and supported and loved, you can also turn out to be somewhat funny. Um, and so, yeah, my brother's always been great about that. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. You know, it's, uh, it's great to see support coming from there because yeah. uh, everyone, like you said, a lot of people believe that you have to be miserable to be funny. And there are quite a few comedians that are miserable that uh, are quite funny. So, yeah. 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 Uh, Kevin, I, I know I've taken up quite a bit of your time and I thank you for today with Goalie being released and the significance of the movie, not only a period piece, but to hockey fans. What's the one big takeaway you want people to, to get in watching Goalie? Um, it was a moment in time. And this character, Terry Sawchuk, was also a moment in time and a reminder of um, sort of the brutality of the game, but also the relationships therein. And uh, I, I am, as I said, super happy with Mark O'Brien's work as Terry Sawchuk and the director, um, Adriana Maggs, um, just did a phenomenal job. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would encourage folks who have any interest at all in hockey to check this movie out. Well, it's a great movie. Thank you for talking to me today. Hopefully, I'll either catch you at a uh, Giants-Dodgers game at some point or a Ducks Shark uh, – sorry – uh, Sharks uh, Kings game. I don't know how many times uh, how much you go up to see the or come out to Orange County to see the Ducks, but if not, then at the latest I'll see you at Critics Choice next year. <laughs> well, I'll see you soon enough at one of those opportunities. Yeah. We got we got a we got a list of sporting events where the San Francisco teams are going to come to LA, so we'll figure something out. Yeah, I've been yeah. in LA since nineteen eighty three. <laughs> you need to know I could not hate LA teams more today than I did when I got here. <laughs> don't worry, yeah, uh, I'm a- in the same boat. There's an intense loathing. <laughs> Perfect, man. Thank you so much. Ke- great talking to you, Kevin Pollock. Goalie is out now on VOD. Please check it out, and I will talk to you soon, Kevin. All right. Take care. <laughs> you too. Bye. Bye-bye.